How'd you begin your day this morning? What was the first thought on your mind when consciousness came in your life? The alarm clock, the rising of the sun in a cloudy sky. What was that first thought? If, um, if we're honest, a lot of us would say, how do I feel? How do I feel? Or, oh, I should have gotten more sleep. We know exactly how we feel. We also ask the question, what do I want? We also ask, what are my threats? Who are my threats today? Some of us wake up and we ask, who likes me? And we begin our day structuring it all around who likes us and trying to get more people to like us, more people to think we're great. Others of us wake up and says, what does my future hold today? How is today going to play a, play a, a, a part in, in what I really want my life to be? You know, when we come to a place like this and we spend some time in prayer and we spend some time in worship and we uh, sing songs that get us to say the same thing together and then to even to kind of go intimate with it where we actually will trust our vocal cords in a community like this and sing to the Lord. We are here to move all your direction heavenward, to move your focus to God, not yourself, because if we're away from God, when we're not thinking about God, we tend to be thinking about ourselves. And if our faith begins with us, it will build expectations for God that are, that, that he's never meant to be. And when we take our expectations and we we uh, mesh it with this thing called the American dream that's all about our health and all about our wealth and all about our prosperity and all about our options and opportunities for our own personal dreams. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come out and it's going to be contorted and we're going to expect things of God that he has never claimed to be. And we're going to try to mold him around who we want him to be rather than to really worship him for who he truly is. So this morning, as we continue our series called Search and Rescue in our study of 1 Peter, we're going to be talking about expectations, your expectations with God. What can you expect when you faithfully follow God? I think this is really key because so many of us have missed expectations in our lives. If you don't agree with me, get married. Get married. Because we all come to marriage with these expectations. We all have this picture of, this is what he's going to be like when we're married. This is what she's going to be like. This is what we will be like when we get married. And you, you get into life and you realize, wow. You realize, man, you've kind of, once, once you really start living with each other, okay, I mean really start living with each other, then you start realizing she held her cards in pretty close. <laughs> I didn't know about this. I didn't know about this when I said I do, or I will. And uh, I can remember in my first year of marriage, I, um, I got married when I was in my late 20s, so I had quite a few years to be single. And even what I thought was the perfect woman, I realized, um, wow, I had expectations on my wife, my new wife, that she just couldn't, she couldn't hit. And I wouldn't communicate them to her. 
So it resulted in a bunch of things. You know, let me just share some of the things. It, it missed expectations. It, 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 it brings out frustration. Wait a minute. I thought it would be like this, and it's really like that. And I thought, whoa, what's going on? What's that frustration? And she would come home. She'd catch it right away. And she goes, what's wrong? I go, nothing. And then, I mean, how does the silent treatment work? Does anyone have that really working for you here? I mean, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's what's wrong? What's wrong? I wonder what's wrong. It's not what it used. Well, I wonder what our marriage is going to be like. And then you kind of think, what is this going to be like? And again, this was in a relationship with one of the best women I've ever met. And I had missed expectations. We even put expectations on ourselves. I think Cheryl, as we got married, Cheryl looked at my mom and all the things that my mom was to our family. And she goes, boy, I don't know if I could ever be that. You know, is there this expectation in Joe that I would be just like his mother, you know, and we never talked about that. And so there was this unspoken expectation that um, that I was just kind of used to that. I would think my mom always did this. You didn't do that, you know. And uh, Cheryl had expectations for me, expectations that after a really hard day in ministry, I would come home and I'd actually want to spend time with the kids who were driving her crazy throughout the day. I wouldn't want to turn on SportsCenter and start catching up on the important news of life. And so this whole angle of missed expectations can breed this frustration because your expectations kind of chart out in your life how things ought to be, what you want it to be, how things ought to, how people ought to treat each other and how your life ought to function. And these expectations, we all have them. I mean, we all have them. And they influence us tremendously. Frustration, if it's not dealt with, will move to anger. And you know, many times when I think about what am I so angry about, it really can be traced back to what has been a missed expectation for me. Well, I thought they would do this, but they didn't. So boy, I'm really upset. And when someone cuts in front of you, what was the expectation of that one? The expectation is that people would be nice when they drive, right? And be considerate. And when they aren't, whoa, I expected something that didn't happen. So you get angry with that. And then this anger moves into rejection. And you know this. You know the marriage that looks like this. You know some of you have lived it for a while, that silent treatment, where you go into isolation, where where you're angry about something and you reject, you just go, that it, and then you start thinking, you start sowing the seed of discontent in your marriage, in your life, in your relationships. And you communicate with words and without words. You're never going to be good enough. You communicate that things are never what they really should be around here. And you stop encouraging, you stop supporting, you stop affirming. And everything tanks at that point. And then you move into despair. Despair is the whole picture of a loss of hope. (laughs) When things don't match your expectation, there's that loss of hope, that things are never going to change. That's where you hear in relationship, you'll hear, well, you always, you never. And we do that because these expectations have not been communicated, but they've been expected. And they've never been really dealt with. See, folks, where you begin in your faith is where you set your expectations. If you believe life is all about you, your expectations will be all about you. If you believe life is all about God, then your expectations are going to be changed 
to move outside of yourself so that you will make glory of God your greatest aim. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Because I believe that foundational relationship with everyone in this room is your relationship with God. And I want to draw you into the scriptures this morning so you can see God's image for you and his picture for you and his vision for you to follow. And a lot of it has to do with confronting of your expectations for life and your expectations for a walk with him. If you woke up this morning and you continue to live in the realm of what can God do for me today? And my life isn't working out. I hope God can make me feel better today. Folks, your expectations for him are going to be missed when you read this passage. So that's why we've got to clear away these expectations because we'll talk about it. We'll talk. I believe you can expect things from God. And God says you can expect this from me. But we want to look at what he asks us to expect. And we want to see that from a biblical perspective. So I ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. We'll read that. But the main point I want to say in this is that your, my expectations influence my experience. My expectations influence my experience. What if you expect from God will determine how you experience your walk with him. Just like in marriage, if you expect that it's all to be about you and the comfort of your life and the fulfillment of your pleasures, they will determine how you walk with God. And that's why it's important when, when this, is, this is called to our, our focus this morning, where we really need to move from the illusion of our expectations into the reality of who God is. And so that's what I want you to do with me this morning. I want to cultivate a heart of repentance from all misplaced expectations on God. And I want to rally around the central message of what we're here to do, who we're here to be. And I want to move away from a selfish life into a God-glorifying life, to step away from ourselves in order to begin with God. And here's what we can expect, folks. That those who faithfully follow Christ should expect to suffer. This isn't an expectation from Scripture. We're going to hear it repeated over and over. What we're going to be called into is we're going to be called into not just expecting it, but embracing it. Now think with me. Our whole theme has been search and rescue. We're part of God's search and rescue plan. This world is not all for us. It's for the glory of God. And so in advancing the kingdom of God by making disciples, God calls us to put our lives on the line to advance the gospel through our lives. And in the same way that if you all worked on a search and rescue team with me and someone was out in, uh, you know, on the ocean or stranded on a mountain and we were on this search and rescue team, I would sit you down and I would say, look, we're going out into horrible, a horrible environment. Some of our lives are going to be threatened. Matter of fact, the things are so bad. This person, their life is at stake. We have to put our lives on the line to go and save this person. This is what you can expect. Number one, someone's going to give you a gift certificate to your favorite restaurant. That's what you can expect. Number two, you can expect a nice warm blanket over you at all times. Number three, you will be having your best friends around you all the time and everyone will love you. No, I won't be saying that to you. I'll be saying, folks, we're going to go out there. It's really going to be bad. You can expect for it to be bad. So dress up. Let's get ready. Prepare for this. 
Uh, things are not going to be easy. You're going you're gonna to hunger. It's going to be frustrating. Not everyone's going to get along on this trip, but we're a team and we're here to go and save a life. This is God's plan for you in this world. We got to expect it. We got to expect that. Let's read 1 Peter 4, verse 12 and 13. <clears throat> Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now catch this. This is nothing new to 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, just flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Peter talks about this great inheritance kept in heaven for us, which will never perish, spoil, or fade. But then he says this. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This is nothing new. The church was suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep flipping over. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you. Suffering is nothing new. It's a constant theme. Leaving you an example, it says, that you should follow in his steps. We're to follow Jesus in the suffering that he has done for us. First Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Flip to that. It says, it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. This is suffering. This is part of the walk with Christ. And then last week we looked at 1 Peter 4, 1. It says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. It's this attitude of sacrificing your life to advance the kingdom of God. This is something we should expect and then embrace doing as a follower of Christ. Now, this was also something in the experience of Peter. If you have your Bibles, just flip over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is an experience in the life of Peter where he was proclaiming the gospel at the epicenter of Jewish religion at that time. It was the temple in Jerusalem. And he had gained so many crowds and people were just coming in droves and committing their lives to Jesus Christ and turning from their sin to him. That the Jewish leaders got jealous and they wanted to kill him. And so they arrested them, the disciples. They put him in prison. In the middle of the night, an angel opens up the prison doors, has him go out and preach and says, go and preach. And so they go and do this. And the, the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin wake up and they go, where are these guys you put in prison? And they go, they're out there preaching. They bring him in. They bring him to trial. And one of their leaders says, look, we've had people who have preached heresy before. If this is of men, they'll die. If this is of God, even we can't stop it. And so it says in, um, in Acts chapter 5, 39, it says, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And catch this. It says this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. See that? Peter rejoiced when he suffered by preaching the name. And that's what they did. The gospel moved in these environments 
were those around them where Peter's great statement before them is we must obey God rather than man. Because his expectation was that God would take care of him. That God was the one to invest everything for. He could sell the farm trusting in God. Here's what you can expect. Here's what you can expect. Folks, don't be surprised if you experience pain for following Christ. It says this painful trial that you're suffering. Don't be surprised. And it will mean pain. It will mean loss. It will mean hurt. It will mean physical and emotional pain. Folks, we talked about it. There's a better way for you to live with God than there ever could be in, in your own way. And you think about all the reasons, all the compromises you and I make when we like our way and not God's way. And we just have to ask, you know, how's that working out for you? It's not. It's not. We still come to these missed expectations in life. We thought something would produce something, and it didn't. You know, we're going to experience pain. And here it says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Pain aligns us to Christ. Isn't that great? We don't have a God who sits up on his, you know, lazy boy in heaven and goes, deal with it, people. Just deal with it. Pray to me every once in a while. Maybe I'll send somebody. No, we have a God who took on flesh, who came into our suffering, who became like us. And as the prophet Isaiah said, he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, he was acquainted. He was a familiar with suffering like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He's rejected. He experienced that pain. And when we experience that pain of following Christ, when we experience the pain of moving away, and there's always pain from moving away of a stronghold of sin in our lives. I mean, let's not make it glorious here when we go, um, you know, I'm I'm turning away from a stronghold. It's painful. It is because you've built your life around that stronghold. When you follow Christ, it's going to be difficult. You're going to experience that pain. You're also going to experience insult. Look at verse 14. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Here, insult means verbal abuse because of the name of Christ. And here, what is the promise? A blessing. A blessing. This flies right in front of my desire in life. I love to be liked. I am a people pleaser. And this is one of the areas that God continues to work in my life. And I have come a long way from where I used to be. But I am still on this progression, still on this path of trusting God greater than men, of looking for God's approval rather than your approval. And the reality is, as we serve the Lord, as I call you to the scriptures, there are going to be some things that you don't like about what I'm saying. And guess what? Sooner or later, I'm going to tick you off. I am. I am. If I am doing justice and faithfulness to the word of God, there are going to be something in the word of God, as it is in all of our lives, that you don't like. Get used to it. Okay? As we've built our appetites for life, and sometimes we do that at the expense of an appetite for God. And I hope this can be a place where we call it out. And I hope 
I can be someone who's authentic with you and tell you there's things in, my, in the Bible that are called, called out on my life all the time. We've got to get used to that. But sometimes that will result in insult. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, he said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you look at the pattern of biblical history, you would see people who were persecuted who stood up for God. Sometimes the word of God and the truth of God is an insult to a life that says, I want to live any way I want to live. And how dare you say there's only one way? How, how dare you to say that God's way is the best way in my life? Yes, that will bring out insult. We've got to get used to it. And the herd of insult, what people call you, what people think of you. Folks, if you live life expecting people to like you and love you and accept you, you will compromise your faith so that they will. Have you ever heard of peer pressure? It's that whole angle of of the backdrop of I want people to to love me. I want people to accept me. I want people to like me. I want to fit in. Because for us, whether you're 12 years old and experiencing the, the pains of adolescence, or whether you're 80 years old and you're trying to fit in with your peer group, we all want people to like us. And scripture says there's going to be some things, not all things, but there's going to be some things where you're going to receive insult for that. Are you okay with that? To follow God rather than men. So don't be surprised if there's pain in your life. Don't be surprised if there's insult in your life. Third, don't be surprised if there's suffering. It says if you suffer... It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. meddler. We need this information, don't we? Because sometimes people just go who are Christians will do illegal actions and try to justify the means. No, there's, there's rules and there's things to obey. And, you know, you're given the angle here that civil disobedience works if it's against the name of Jesus. But everything else, there's laws for us to follow. And we're to follow them. If you were to go and rob a bank and you said, well, God told me to do that, I would say, well, I'm sorry. You're going to spend some time in jail. I will pray for you and I'll pray for your family during this time. I may even come visit you in jail. But you did wrong. You're not suffering for Christ. You're suffering for a bad action. So there's things that we can do that are not God-driven. And here it calls us to make those things important, What a God-driven life. Don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Here it says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Here, (laughs) there's even that angle of being a meddler. And a meddler, we don't usually use that one. It's not really even that great of a scrabble word. But meddling, to meddle into somebody's business that's not yours. To be part of gossip. To be a part of the rumor mill. And to experience suffering for that. God says, no, doesn't count. Doesn't count. That's not, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about suffering. But you do get a picture, especially as you read like Hebrews chapter 11, verse 38, where it talks about all those people who have suffered to advance the kingdom of God throughout the ages to advance God's name. And he says that the world was not worthy of them. 
That's God's vision for your life. Is that this world, that God would not be ashamed to call you his son or his daughter. Wouldn't be ashamed to be your God. But you would, you would honor him in all that you do. So pain, insult, suffering. And the last one here is discipline. Look at verse 17. It says, for time of judge, for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, and then he quotes Proverbs, Proverbs 11. He says, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And the picture here is that right now, God is part of a long-term plan for your life. And it's, it's to move you into maturity in Christ. And God is committed not just for one experience, but for the rest of eternity to each person in this room. He wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants you to develop. And he uses these trials in life to grow us into a deeper dependence on him. Think about it. Do you know someone who's walked with God through pain and insult and suffering? Have you? I have. And I want to be like them because they've grown. They've grown and they've matured through it. And some of you right now are going through some pain and some suffering and some insult, which you don't get a bearing on. It's really hard for you to get your mind around why what's happening to you is happening to you right now. And that's why we need an environment like this. We need other Christians around us. So when we talk about a topic, someone can go, yeah, I, <clears throat> this happened in my life and I hung on to the hand of God. This is what happened. And you experience the loss of a relationship. There's a whole other community of people who've experienced loss in relationship who can come alongside you and tell you what you're experiencing and that you're not a freak, but to hang on to the hand of God. When you lost a loved one through death, there's people around you who've walked through that. They can come alongside you because God has disciplined them during that time. Not disciplined like you're a bad person. Whack, that's therefore you got this. You didn't do this, a whack. You know, it's not that type of... God in the sky kind of picture. It's, it's more of a discipline like coach would want you to practice in life so that you're ready for the game. Or you're ready for the match. How many of you know what P90X is all about? Come on, put up your hand. This should be proud. Okay. P90X is, is, is this extreme workout that uh, many people in our church have caught on to. And um, you... You get up and do this hour, I mean, grudged hour of workout every day for 90 days. And you must stay committed to it. And if you can keep up with the guy who leads P90X from day one, I mean, you are, you are mega, mega human. Some of us can just do one of the push-ups that he does. And if you read some of, the, um, some of the journals of P90X, I just laughed. I was howling at some of them. Of, oh, this is, does it, does it seem, does it seem like a glorious experience when you're going through it? No, no. Do you want to die? Yes. Are you gasping for air? You know, do you have to put linoleum down over the carpet because you're sweating so much? Yes, you have to. But look at what happens at the end of those 90 days. I mean, look at David Hinkle. I mean, that guy... That guy lost 30 pounds with P90X, okay? 
And I just remember him. He'd come into to work, you know. Elizabeth, I'm coming home. The old Fred Sanford, you know, he'd come in like that. And he'd sit down. And his gut was wretched. And, and, but you know what? He was so out of shape. I mean, he was so flabby and everything. <laughs> and then after 90 days, there was this transformation in his life that happened. But did it happen through prayer? Did he go, Lord, I want to be less weight. And I want to have a better heart rate. And do I want to lose my, my uh, body mass? Just like, no. He woke up every morning and subjected his body to that pain and suffering. But look at him now. I mean, I gained 15 pounds. He took off 30. Sure is fun to watch. P90X. You know, God, God is committed to your growth. You know, you think about <coughs> spiritually <coughs> getting into the word and you go, oh, that's my P90X. I mean, I just fear getting in. I don't understand it. It's too big for me. I, whew, every day, come on. No, you don't have an appetite for it any more than you have an appetite to be fit and to wake up and do P90X. But does it work? Yes. Yes. Does it work out discipline in your lives? Yes. Do you have an appetite for it in the beginning? No. No, the, the, the self-centered life has no appetite for the word of God. But as I get into this each day, I start having a greater appetite for who God is. And my life begins more disciplined around the word. And my day begins more with God than with me. And you can go, oh, you're so legalistic. We got to get in the word and so Get over it. You eat three times a day. Let's take that discipline out of your life. See how you like it. I'm not trying to be crude here, but folks, if we're not in this, how can we expect to have a greater appetite for God? We can't. And we're, if we're not in this in times of pain and suffering, where will the discipline come from? Where will the perspective of what we can expect from God? Thank you. Bless you, my child. <laughs> Hebrews 12 says this. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought was best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Folks, God is committed to your life to grow and mature it. Here it says, boy, if this is how God refines us, what is he going to do to the unrighteous? Well, there's judgment. There's judgment. And God wants to refine us. He wants to call us into a greater and a deeper relationship. Therefore, it says in verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Do you just read that to yourself? 
Read that to yourself one time. There's two things it calls us to do. If we suffer according to God's will, and again, don't be surprised, it's going to happen. We've got to expect it. We've got to embrace it. We're called to commit and continue. Number one, commit your life to your faithful creator. Now, as a pastor, I see a lot of people who come through pain and go through suffering and go through insult. I've seen loss on a huge scale. You think about a congregation our size. If we have 2,000 people, and then I think about all your immediate families who go through pain and suffering, and all the prayer requests that we pray through on on a weekly basis here. You think about all those people going through that. The word of God offers a lifeboat with this passage. It says, commit. Commit to your faithful creator. Look at the character of God. He is faithful. When we go under suffering, when we experience loss, he doesn't flee. He doesn't say, hey, work it out. Come back to me when you look better, when you feel better. No, he's faithful. Secondly, he's your creator. He's one who crafted and formed you for a relationship with him. He's someone who ordains all things for his purposes. And you want to know what you can expect from this faithful creator? Here's what you can expect. Number one, truth. Truth. You can expect the truth about your sin and his righteousness. You can. You can expect when you come to him, he will show you the things in your life that are out of balance, that are messed up, and he can call you to himself. Secondly, grace. He doesn't. He balances these two beautifully. He's full of truth and grace. So you can guarantee that when you come to him and you see your situation before him, you can also turn to him and trust in Jesus. You can trust, folks, today that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can trust and you can expect when you recognize your sin and you turn to someone who has paid the price on the cross for you, you can expect forgiveness. You can expect relationship. Third, you can expect growth. When you come to Christ, you can expect that God is going to be committed to you for the long haul. Through your best day and your worst loss and worst experience, he is going to grow you through that. And I am so tired of the projection of Christianity that it's for shiny, happy people rather than a world that's broken and hearts that are broken and people who are lost and people who are ugly and people who are unloved. The gospel cannot be contained with an expectation for the American dream. It has to be liberated. The God of the nations would be glorified. Otherwise, we're making our faith something only accurate for less than 5% of this world's population. That's the U.S. We have a great country. We are blessed to be in this country. But when God looks at this world, he sees people. He doesn't just see Americans. He sees people. And he has a great heart for them. And he wants us to commit our lives to him and to grow with him and to advance the kingdom 
with him. And you're going to grow in two things. You can expect to God, to God to grow you in your love for him and your love for others. You can expect him to do that if you want him to grow you. Thirdly, or fourthly, you can expect eternity. The whole picture of is, is what you see is not what it is. This whole picture of First Peter is that God is preparing that place, that inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade for everyone who trusts in him, where the defeat of evil will be full and final and the reign and the victory of all that is good will endure forever and ever. It's worth it to commit your life to him. Entrust your life to a faithful creator. Secondly, continue to do good. Look at that. Commit and continue to do good. You know, this is really key for us because when we have a missed expectation with God or with others, we go, oh, what's it going to all turn out like? And the bottom end turns into despair, doesn't it? And when one of you experience loss, and I've been there for people when they've had a health issue that really threatened the longevity of their life and their dreams of seeing their children's children is limited. You know what I keep coming back to? It's that whether we have 100% great health, whether we have a billion dollars in the bank, God still has us for these 24 hours. And God deals with people on 24-hour time periods. We have them today. And he wants today to be a good day with him. He wants today to be a day where his mercies are new every morning. He wants today to be that day where we live for him. Not tomorrow when everything's great. Not tomorrow when Julie Andrews sings, uh, you know, the hills are alive with the sound of music because everything went well. No, today, in the midst of pain insult, and suffering. Today. Life is hard. Life away from God is even more difficult. But Christians should expect to do that next, next good thing. You may not know how to solve tomorrow's problems, but we all know what the next good thing to do is. And God calls us to that. Remember Ephesians 2.10, it says we're God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Today is an opportunity to fulfill what God had prepared in advance of the creation of the whole world for him to do through your life. When you're going through pain and insult and suffering and discipline, commit yourself to your faithful Savior and continue to do the next best good thing. Folks, it says here that we should expect to suffer. Or even life should be strange if we're not. Do you hear that? As though something strange were happening to you. The Christian life is, if nothing's happening to you, that's strange. If you're putting your life on the line for the gospel, if you're advancing the kingdom of God and you're not experiencing this stuff, it's kind of strange. If you look at what, how how many of us just try to preserve our lives for comfort and for pleasure and self-glorification of life, 
when suffering comes our way, what happens? I'm surprised, right? After all, folks, what's ministry supposed to look like? What's the life with Christ supposed to look like? Well, it's glorious because I've seen the transformation of what God could do in a life. But it's also extremely messy. It is. And any church that's making a difference is going to have a glorious picture of the transformation of God and a messiness about it that will frustrate people who love everybody in their row straight and living life perfectly. And for you to buy into this vision, we have to be living this vision of expectations being aligned with the will of God for your life. Would you just ask right now for God to work this will in your life right now by clearing away your expectations so that you can leverage it all to your faithful creator who wants to do good through your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we just have to confess we've come to you with a lot of expectations. Even some of us walked into this church building thinking and asking you, what can you do for me today, God? But we've seen that it's not about us. We've seen that's all about you. And we've learned to get a picture where we can expect to suffer. We can expect insult and pain and even discipline in order that your name would be glorified. Heavenly Father, work in each person's life in this room as we respond in worship to you right now. I pray for authentic hearts. Hearts that are committed to you to go wherever you'd have them go. To not be surprised by suffering, but to embrace it and to reflect you in it. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.